Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Radio Ron Chilton. Radio Ron is a legend in the world of, I should say, sports radio, but almost want to just say uh, in the Kentucky area. Uh, Ron is inspirational. His approach to life and health and fitness at his age is absolutely amazing. I joked with him after we finished recording the episode that he is the oldest person I've ever interviewed on the podcast. And I think prior to the interview today, the oldest person that I had interviewed was Ron back when I interviewed him back 10 years ago when he was 76 years old. So now, of course, he's 87, but absolutely amazing person. Really appreciate Ron coming on the show today. If you're a fan of The Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by a Louisville in Southern Indiana, and even further than that, uh, a radio legend. I have Radio Ron Chilton is in studio with me today. Ron, how are you today? Well, I'm doing very well for an elder statesman and senior <laughs> Olympic athlete. Thank you for having me, Kelly. I met Ron about over, I think over 10 years ago when I got started. Uh, I think it was maybe 2011. Uh, Matt Jones had a, some type of a contest to see who would be one of his assistants and I ended up being the lone representative in the final five or maybe 10 or something like that, uh, who was a Louisville fan. And that was me. And Ron, you also 
were involved in that process, and that's how I came, became familiar with you. Yeah, I remember it very well. As a matter of fact, he was looking for someone to be on his show. I guess we're talking about KSR. Yep, then. yes, sir, yep. May, maybe the television yep. version of KSR. So, so I think KSR may be the radio. Was, okay. I forget exactly. It, KSTV. Okay, that's yeah. what it was, yeah. yes, KSTV. Yeah. yeah. And I ended up uh, taking second place oh, in, wow. that, in that contest. And how did you do, by the I way? I think I was number five. Yeah. I think I made it to yeah. the final five, but and I made it on the television, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I got kind of torn apart, expected, <laughs> yeah. by the Kentucky fan base. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course, the blue and red, you know, well, they're still going at it very, very well. But... Uh, as I told you, I was listening to the Bluegrass Breakdown this morning. That was 10 years ago. Uh, you and Tyler were the guests. And um, I found it interesting that we were talking as a UK fan and a U of L fan. And the question was posed, how do you think the Cats are going to do this year, Ron? And I said, we're going to win it all. And sure enough. That was 2012. It was indeed with Anthony Davis. So I made the prediction and it came true. And, of course, as a U.K. fan, I feel like we should have won a couple more since then. But, of course, as you know, extremely difficult. I even told you on the show what Al McGuire said. you got to be... On an uptick, and you know, going into the tournament because it's so random. And mm. then he said, You gotta have the play of the horses, if you will, but you gotta be lucky because one bad game and you're out, as UK saw last year against that powerhouse St. Peter's. <laughs> <laughs> College basketball is a very difficult sport. To predict year in, year out, as to who will exactly win the the title. Exactly. And, you know, so many things come into play. And I have seen it over the years. Some star player gets hurt, or you just run into a buzzsaw. I mean, I remember games I thought UK should have won, but... um, they, uh, they ran into a player who went on to the NBA and became a star, and so he had a breakout game. I've forgotten his name now. But, uh, what year? Oh, uh, putting me on the spot. I can't recall exactly. It, wasn't, it was not the 10 years ago? Oh, yeah, yeah, about, about 10 years okay. ago. Okay. Yeah. I but think it, that, it, that team had Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, maybe Darius Miller. Yeah, yeah. He um, was the, the one that uh, actually – pulled up by his bootstraps since he was the only senior. And he really was extremely instrumental in their winning that title. But I do remember what one commentator said when they would ask him. This was a national commentator. He said, "Um, how do you think uh, Kentucky will do tonight? And he always said, is Anthony Davis going to play? If he (laughs) is, they're going to win. So... Yeah, he was naturally the big star. And, of course, went on, but uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist was instrumental also. And so many others. Lamb hit several key shots from the outside. That's right. But it was a great team, and that was, uh, what, 2012. Yeah. Sounds right. Pick up the eighth, and they're still looking for number 
Nine. Now, Ron, I jumped right into when I met you, which was 10 or maybe even 11 years ago originally. Um, If it's all right, if we could back up a little bit, who is Ron Chilton? Where are you from? What, you know, uh, um, I mean, without being too intrusive, if any question I ask you is off limits, um, you feel free to tell me. But what is your your age? My age is 87. And I'm still going strong. Wow. And when, you know, when we did the bluegrass breakdown 10 years ago, I would have been 80, I mean, 76 going on 77. And I was talking about being in the Senior Olympics in that uh, conversation. And now this coming Sunday, I will be entered in 10 events in the Kentucky State Senior Olympic Games held at the Norton Complex. You've probably heard of that right here in West Louisville. Okay. The Norton Healthcare and Sports Complex. Okay. I've already entered 10 events or I've registered for 10 events and I'm hoping that I can last. Um, Okay. So if we could back up a little bit, Ron. Where where were you born? Yeah, um, eighty seven years ago. I mean, that's that's yeah. uh, uh, you know what what was the your your childhood like? What sports did you play as a youth? You're still you know competing at age eighty seven. I assume there was some sports background growing up. Um, what is your story from eighty starting eighty seven years ago? Okay, how much time do we? have? <laughs> I mean, I will try to be. As brief as I can. I was born in Harrodsburg, Kentucky. That's in central Kentucky. We moved later to Danville, so I consider that my hometown. Okay. And I um, participated in basketball. I was on the basketball, Danville High School basketball team. I was about number 15 on a 15-man roster, so I wasn't certainly not a star. But I never... um, participated in track and field, which is rather amazing when I'm talking about being in 10 track and field events coming up Sunday. But I always admired those who could not only run the dashes, but to uh, hurl the shot put, the discus, the javelin. So this coming Sunday, I will be in the 50, 100, 200, 400 meter dashes. The uh, shot put, discus, javelin, hammer throw, long jump, triple jump. You named it all, all ten. All ten. I memorized them. <laughs> Have you, at age 87, you seem cognitively, you seem like you're very sharp. I hope so. I hope so. Have you noticed any decline? No, I really have not. Except when I got to the end of my radio career... I remember having some difficulty in remembering some names in the musical field, genre. You know, like big band leaders, and I thought, well, you know, I used to just spit those out quickly. Mm -hmm. But I did notice that as you age, you really have some memory loss. But as far as any severe cognitive decline, I have not noticed that. Better knock, knock on, on wood. some wood, huh? Yeah. Okay, so exactly. during high school, you yep. were 15th out of 15 men on the roster. Yeah. You played all four years of high school basketball? At three. Three yeah. years. Three years. Okay. Right. right. Sophomore. Good. Sophomore, junior. junior, and senior. Okay. 
what did you want to do while you were in high school? What type of aspirations did you have? Were you planning on going to college? Did you have any specific career path? I wanted, and you may laugh at this and some people listening, I wanted to be a movie star. I always enjoyed going to movies in Danville. I would go early in the morning and stay all day long, you know, watching cowboy movies, Gene Autry, uh, Roy Rogers, the Cisco Kid, all of the um, cartoons, and, and I would stay in there from noon until it got dark. And I loved movies. And so I had dreams of becoming a movie star. But one day my father sat me down and he said, Ron, I think it sounds a little pretentious for you to say you want to be a movie star. If you wanted to be in the movies, just say you want to become an actor. Mm. So that was good advice. From then on, I knew I wanted to be an actor. So I was in... I had leads in the sophomore, junior, and senior plays in high school. Then I went to college. I attended five universities, and I was in every play that came along, some with leading roles and some with supporting roles. And then my first movie role was in Raintree County. That was filmed in my hometown of Danville, in 1956. So I had been an actor at the Pioneer Playhouse, which Evan Henson started in Danville. And so when I found out that Raintree County was coming, MGM coming to my hometown, I went to the um, Evan Henson, who was the founder of Pioneer Playhouse, and I said, do you think you can get me in that movie? He said, Ron, they are going to need hundreds and perhaps thousands of extras. Of course you can. So when it came time to try out, I went over and they put me in uh, makeup and uniform, put me before the camera. And sure enough, I was not only in the movie, but I was the major stand-in for Montgomery Clift, who was the star, along with Elizabeth Taylor and some other notables, Agnes Moorhead and some others, Lee Marvin. But that was the most exciting, the most rewarding experience that I had ever had. And so from then on, I said, if there is a chance of being in any other movies, I am going to try an audition. And sure enough, I was in 12 more motion pictures. And I'm talking about Hollywood motion pictures. And uh, if you would like for me to name a few of them. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, Stripes with Bill Murray. I've seen and that. You have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 80s. I, 80s movie. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And then and I met him and I'll never forget. He was such a cut up. He said, um, you know, if, if any of you extras want to have lunch with me, come on over and sit down. He was just one regular guy. He had an association with L recently, didn't he? His son was an assistant uh, under Chris Mack. Yeah. Yep. I remember that now. But anyway, he was such a fun guy. And uh, I always tried to get my picture made with one of the stars so that I could prove that I was in the movie. 
And I remember asking him, I said, would, Bill, would you mind having your picture made with me? He said, no, come on over. And so we kind of shoulder to shoulder like that, and I got my friend's camera ready. And all of a sudden, right before the picture was made, he grabbed me around the neck and gave me a noogie and said, there, there's your picture. So you have a picture of Bill <laughs> Murray. a picture of Bill Murray with Radio Ron. G- giving you a noogie. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that, that was, I treasure that. Then I was in the great race with Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis. I actually got a line in that movie. Wow. Yeah. And for an extra, that's, you know, that's big time. And he was... Um, Jack Lemmon was being buckled into a uh, harness where a biplane was going to come down and pick him up. And for some reason, I always seemed to be in the right place at the right time. They chose me to be Jack Lemmon's assistant. And my one line was, good luck, sir, (laughs) and patted him on the back. And this biplane came down. That was with Peter Falk also. And so I enjoyed that immensely with all the biplanes and and the old-time automobiles. Then I was in uh, Hazard for Fire Down Below, Steven Seagal. Okay. And I had a better part in that. I was chosen to be, because I'm also a singer, and I was chosen to be one of the um, participants in a male quartet when big old Seagal walks in the church, you know. And I always tried to do something that where I would be able to pick me out, you know, because an extra, you may get lost. Yeah. We call it FaceTime. So we were singing uh, some song, bringing in the sheaves or something. And I recall that they said, now, when the director says, cut, you know, you quartet singers, shut up. Well, I made sure my voice was the last one to trail off. <laughs> and so uh, you, can, you can hear my voice as a quartet member in that. Did you have any interactions with Steven Seagal? That is probably the best question you have asked because so many people said, I heard he was a jerk. Did you have any, any conversation at all? No, you, you tried and he would turn away. And as a matter of fact, on the first day, The assistant director came over and said, all right, you extras, listen up. You do not try to talk to Mr. Seagal. Seagal. (laughs) You do not even look him in the eye. Oh, my goodness. If we find you staring at him and he stares back, you're off the set. Wow. I could not believe it that such a guy would have such a high esteem or, let's say, uh, ego that he would say, "Don't even look me in the eye." Wow! You know? So what the heck? Uh, as I told you, I tried to get my picture made, it, so I kept thinking, "How in the world could I prove I was in fire down below?" And aha! That aha moment, I said, "I'll get my good friend here to stand by with a camera." And I will surprise him. Seagal. So, Seagal. Wow. Yeah. I like this. And so, of course, he's, he's a big guy. He's like six, 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 five, six, five, six, something, six like something like that. He had his back turned to me, and I was ready for the next shot. And so I actually sneaked up behind him, tapped him on the shoulder. He turned around. And I <laughs> sat up, and I said, take it. And my friend took a picture. I actually, I'm the only one, I'm sure, that still has a picture of an extra in Steven Seagal. How did that go? Did he seem upset? No, 
I was surprised. I thought he might punch me out or, you know, use a jujitsu or whatever his, uh, you know, his, his, his best hold is. But no, he just kind of looked at me with a scowl and walked <laughs> away. But you still but have that picture. I still have that I would like picture. to see that. Yeah, That's that, great. That was published in the Courier Journal about, oh, I don't know, 12, 14 years ago. Yeah, it says, I think it was Radio Ron um, doesn't have leading roles, but seeing the stars is enough for him. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so after that, if you'll permit me, sure. Uh, several horse pictures came along. I was in Seabiscuit and oh, Secretariat, wow. yeah. And a, a picture that I really enjoyed, not many people know, is Dreamer. Dreamer, yeah, that's a, another horse picture, if you will. Uh, the fourth horse picture was Bluegrass, and that was shot at, um, at Keeneland. And so uh, it was uh, a lot of fun, being, because I love being around horses, and, of course, the Secretariat and, um, and um, the other horse picture I just mentioned, Secretariat Seabiscuit. and Seabiscuit, were both shot at Churchill Downs. Okay. So... Where are we? So, <laughs> based on my math, were you born in 35? Or yeah, you're 30? absolutely right. So, born so in 35. 35, you went to high school in Danville. You attended five universities. Yeah. In 1956, you started, or you were in your first film. Yeah. So, you were 21 years old? That's right. Okay. And Liz Taylor was 24. I okay. always remember she was three years older than I was. Okay, so how did it come about? The differentiation between pursuing an acting career versus getting into the radio industry. How yeah. did that come about? Okay. Um, I might quickly just tell you, I started out at Transylvania. Okay. In Lexington, of course. I attended there for two years in all of the, the plays there. And that probably was the most rewarding period because we had an excellent theater and an excellent director. And so at the end of those two years... I had been hearing about a party school, and since I was kind of a party guy back then, were I thought, you? Yeah, okay, okay. I won't go into any detail, <laughs> of course, but I, I was known as having I, having a good time. I think the statute of limitations has probably <laughs> expired. Probably expired. <laughs> <by now. laughs> Absolutely right. So I heard about the University of Miami in Florida oh, being okay. a party school, and so I went to my parents. And I said, do you think I could transfer it down there? Because I wanted to explore other colleges, other theaters, other directors and actors and so forth. And they said, I don't know. We heard that's pretty expensive. However, my father had a, an uncle that lived in Miami. He ran a grocery store. He said, I'll give him a call and see if he could, if you could room with him. He does have a spare bedroom. And lo and behold, we got an answer back from Uncle that he would indeed welcome me. And so I went down there, enrolled, and I spent um, one semester at the University of Miami. Had a great time. I was in a couple of plays. I was in a musical called Song of Norway. Had a uh, significant role in that. And... Um, 
went to the beach on Christmas Eve, I remember, with a date, and uh, oh, man. Well, I won't go into any more detail about that, <laughs> but I did have a great time for one semester, Kelly, and then ran out of money. Or I should say my parents came and said, we're going to have to have an intervention here. Ron, I, we just must tell you that um, you'd better come home or at least uh, find a college nearer. And so I thought, well, the University of Kentucky has a, a good reputation of the Genial Theater. So I transferred to UK and spent my last three semesters there. Okay. So that means I graduated in 57, but that 56 summer is when the movie was, was filmed. So I would have been going into my senior year. Okay. So was it at the University of Miami? or at Kentucky, when you started to integrate your voice, you probably knew you had a good, I assume, 20-year-old Ron also had a strong voice. At some point, something had to happen where you were introduced to the idea of being a radio persona, or even working in the back office in a radio yeah. uh, studio or, or station. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, as you have just inferred, I knew that my voice would be my fortune. I really did. Now, that may sound pretentious, or even um, some people may say, well, you've got some, some traits of Donald Trump when you talk like <laughs> that, you know. But no, I realized at the time, when my voice changed at the age of 13, I knew that it was going to be my fortune in some capacity. Did your father good. have a voice like that? Yes. Okay. He was there a singer, uh, not professional, but he was a singer. And so I inherited his voice, you might say. And so um, I also knew that I wanted to give it a chance. I'm talking about an acting career. So after I graduated in 57, I went to New York and studied for a year and a half there, and then came back, and somebody said, well, have you tried Hollywood? I no. So I got in my car, I think it was a, a 49 Buick, a long Buick, and I drove to California. On the way, I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but you did want to hear my life. This is what it's history. about. Yeah. yeah, perfect. I had an appendectomy or an appendicitis attack. An, emergen um, an emergency, emergency appendectomy. Wow. Uh, absolutely. Had to flag down a state trooper and tell him that I was about to die. Because if you've heard about an appendicitis attack, you think you are going to and die. And you can't. And you can't if they burst. My brother had an emergency appendectomy. Is I was, that right? I was with him when he, we didn't know what was going on right i'm curious how did that go down how was uh, this gets a little political almost but what was the healthcare situation at that time what 1958 yeah 59 uh, yeah, who paid for that 59. did you have health insurance you show them a health insurance card do you remember do you, i don't remember okay i've got to be honest fair, about fair. it yeah i'm I, curious because uh, yeah, you were driving yeah, across the whole across country across the whole and, and there were no let's see no interstates at the time perhaps wow when when uh, back in the 50s i guess the interstate but yeah and so i flagged down this policeman told him the problem and he turned on his lights and he said follow me, even though I was almost slumped over the, the steering wheel, and he drove me to the hospital. They came out, wheeled me in. They said, get this man to surgery right away, and so they operated, took out the appendix, 
And I was in the hospital for, I guess, five days. My mother and my aunt came out, and they uh, put me in back of their car and took me home, but there was a big article in the paper, actor who had a part in a motion picture in Hollywood, stricken by <laughs> appendicitis. So you tried to make it to, Los- to, to California. To California. You didn't get there. No. You ended up this back was, in Kentucky. That's right. This was in Illinois, in Cairo, or, or where, whatever the little city was, ended up back in Kentucky. And so um, my brother who was two years younger, said, well, we've got to try it again, Ron. So we, after I recovered, we piled into the car, and he went to Hollywood with me. And we lived there for another year. And I was uh, not only trying that we were living next, next to MGM Studios, and that was in Culver City. Yes, that would have been 50 59, I guess, or the late 50s. And so I would um, try to get into the studio, and I got into to, um, for, uh, I guess you could call it a screen test. You know, the, well, this guy, you know, what does he look like? Let's put him, I saw James Dean do that the other day. <laughs> but I didn't have the talent of James Dean, so they said, we'll call you. You know, <laughs> nothing for you right now. But I started singing in clubs. And so I remember I was singing on the strip on, um, in a club called Dino's. Dean Martin had a nightclub. I was singing there. And there was a guy on the bill that night. And I thought, boy, he sounds really good. I'll bet he'll make it. And, of course, I had the confidence. I thought I would, too. But his name was Lou Rawls. And, of course, he made it big time. And wow. I followed his career later on. But it got to the point that my, uh, my brother said, uh, Ron, uh, I've got to go back. You know, we were sharing the expenses of, a, of an apartment. So he uh, piled in the car and went back home. And soon thereafter, I had been, I guess you could say, rejected so many times. It came to the reality that, yeah, I needed to go back home, too. So I, I went back to Danville in 1960. And I said, well, by golly, at that moment, Eureka, I'm going to be a radio announcer. So I went out to the local radio station, WHIR, in Danville, Kentucky, in 1960. I remember it very well because it was uh, October of 1960. And um, I thought, well... If they've got a job for me, fine. If not, you know, I'll find something that I can do with my voice. And so the guy said, have you had any experience in writing? No, not at all. Well, read this um, Kroger commercial. I still remember Kroger commercial. And I was holding the script or the page and getting really nervous. I'm sure I was shaking somewhat. But I read that Kroger commercial, and he said, son... This was the program director. He said, you've got some potential. How would you like to be our new Nighthawk? And I said, what is that? You would be a rock and roll DJ from midnight or from uh, 7 to midnight because we, we closed down. It was one of those small stations that closed down from 7 till midnight. I said, I love it. So they put me on the air without any experience, and I was spinning 45 <laughs> records and talking about uh, Elvis Presley, and of course he started 
about five years before that, you know. And then, of course, later on, the Beatles. But I digress. No, that's so, all, all very fascinating yeah, to guy, yeah. t- kind of give a time stamp. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, he, I remember the very first time, Kelly, that I heard uh, Elvis, the very first time was in 1956, I think. I was at UK in a fraternity house, and one of the brothers said, come here, you got to hear this guy. He's got such a different style. Just listen to those voices. And, of course, it was Elvis with Heartbreak Hotel. And I'll never forget that I was blown away. Wow, that is something. Because we just hadn't heard anything like him. I didn't know what he looked like or anything. But later on, of course, he was on Ed Sullivan and it started me. But um, you'll have to keep me on track. Oh, that's okay. You're doing a great job. That's all relevant. So the Beatles. um, Came along. Elvis. You started with the Danville station working the Nighthawk shift, 7 p.m. until midnight. Right. Is that like a a five-day-a-week gig? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Five-day-a-week gig. And uh, I was, I remember I was making $62 a week. Wow. Yeah. This is the 1960. And um, so we had a, um, something called the, Lady of the Day contest, and I had met this young lady uh, previously, I think, uh, oh, I remember now, she worked at a bank in Danville, you got a picture of this, with my mother, who was a teller, and my mother came home, and of course, I was dating, but I certainly was still a confirmed bachelor, single, she said, this young lady has just joined the bank, and she is a knockout. She is so cute. Not only that, but she has a great sense of humor and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, sure, Mom. Well, (laughs) I was at a U.K. football game. I'll never forget. And she said, I want you to meet somebody. So my mom took me over because she knew that she was there with another date. And she took me over and said, this is my son, Ron. I want you to meet Mary Lee. And I said, how do you do? And that was about it. Later on, she said, you were so abrupt and so aloof. I thought, who is this character? He didn't even have the courtesy, you know, to stick around and say, you're beautiful or whatever. But no, that was the beginning of a romance with my wife, Mary Lee. And uh, next uh, Valentine's Day, we will celebrate our 60th anniversary. Wow, you were married on Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah, 60th anniversary. And um, so uh, I, oh, I was getting back to that contest, the lady of the day. Well, you see, we were supposed to pick out names out of the phone directory, or yeah, I think people actually sent in names. If you're going to be the lady of the day, we have several good prizes for you. So I knew her name, and I looked her name up in the phone book, and I pretended she was the lady of the day, and I called her. And I said, you have been chosen the lady of the day, and you get a six-pack of Cokes and a bag of potato chips or whatever we were giving away. And this was to your wife? This was my future Future wife. wife. Yeah. And I said... I said, hold on, because i got to get your address. So she held on. And I said, you may not remember me, but my mother introduced us at a U.K. ball game. And I said, 
I find you to be a very attractive young lady, and since I am good enough to award you all these prizes, would you have dinner with me? <laughs> and she said, well, she hesitated for me. She said, okay. And so we went to Lexington to a nice restaurant, and that was the beginning of a wonderful romance. That would have been in uh, 61. Wow. Because yeah, I had started at the station in 1960 and 61. So we dated for two years, got married in 63, and I just had to give it one more shot, Kelly, and she went back to New York with me. Oh, and, wow. And she worked down on Wall Street as a banker while I was making the rounds in New York as an actor. But I got to meet, oh, uh, people like... Um, James Dean, and uh, <clears throat> early on, and even Marlon Brando. Wow. And I auditioned for the um, Actors Studio. That's where they all started. And um, unfortunately, I did not make it, but they said, we, our judges, have deemed that you have potential, and if you will continue to work and study, then we would urge you to audition again for the actor's studio because that was the standard that was the way so many actors got their start but i never went back because we stayed there for one and a half years which about 18 months came back to kentucky in 64 and i thought well i'm going to start a little higher up this time so i went to lexington at wvlk and auditioned and they said yeah, we like your voice, and we have an opening. Would you be willing to take the noon to 6 p.m. slot? Just yes. like that, yeah, noon. And I followed a guy who had ratings off the charts. His name was Artie K. at WVLK, the Mighty 590. And believe me, I was just overjoyed. Because, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine just walking into a radio station and saying, you know, I want to be your afternoon announcer. But I had the noon to 6 p.m. slot. Noon to 6. Now, yeah. does that mean you were speaking the entirety of those six hours or you were being a disc jockey or playing music? Playing music. Speaking between the songs. Yeah, between the songs. Gotcha. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I had some great, great times there. Now, um, born in 35, this is, now we're about to 1965. Yeah, 64 okay. and 65. So you're 29 or 30 years yeah. old. What type of physical activity, exercise, are you doing at 29 or 30 years old? Zilch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I really didn't get started on this, um, you know, physical activity kick until... I would say I went to WXVW. Okay. You know all about that. I do. Yeah, I Southern was, Indiana. Uh, yeah, in Southern Indiana. So I was hired there um, in 1980. Yeah. But let me bring you up to date, if, you, if you don't mind. I would love it. Because at WVLK, Lexington, Lexington I was there from 64, 65, and 66. So... I was there probably during the 
worst defeat up to that point of all time for a UK basketball team, and that's uh, having to do with um, uh, or the team, Pat Riley, Louis Dampier, Tommy Cron, um, Larry Conley. They were known as Rupsfronts, and they were undefeated. Everybody thought, well, here we go with another championship, and they ran into Texas Western. That's the historic. The historic in 1966 and were defeated. We and that's historic because? Of UK being an all-white team and, of course, Texas Western being all African-Americans. Okay. So, and I'm not as educated on that exact game. Yeah. They were all African-American team versus all white team. Yeah. Yep. Was there anything beyond that? Was it a black coach for Texas Western? Was it no? no was it he, they only he, he took African Americans or what? No, they. I mean, this. He, uh, I forget his name. I'm sure somebody will come up with it. But no, he he was a white coach. Okay, but he decided that. I mean, he had several uh, transfers from New York, New Jersey. I do remember that Daddy Latin and some others. And he was an excellent coach, and he just found out that his best athletes just happened to be African-Americans. Sure. But he did make the decision, since it had never been done before, that he was going to start five, and that he knew Kentucky had five white starters. I don't think that he knew the significance of such a meeting at the time, but mm. it became quite a story, as you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly, in looking back. What was yeah. the, that's such an interesting, man, this is yeah. the type of episode or interview where we could go into so many different oh, yeah. directions. Yeah. Um, what was the the take on it on campus or in Lexington at that time? Well, as far as uh, the racial implications, sure. there, there, there really wasn't none. I, I, there was none to my Recollection. I really do not remember anything like that, and that may sound odd, but I'm just being quite honest. I don't yeah, remember anything yeah, yeah. like that because looking back, uh, we defeated Duke in the semifinals, and they were an all-white team. If Duke had won that game, then they would have been the all-white team against the all-African American. This was Duke prior to Coach K, of course. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. But the, the one thing that I do remember is having the um, chance, the opportunity to meet every single UK player. And I was, so, I was such a fan, which I still am, but to meet people like Louis Dampier and Pat Riley and Larry Conley and uh, Tommy Cron um, and Thad Jarrett. He and I are still friends today. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, uh, we had an outing and a picnic that we invited. He lives close by. Yeah, he, I think he lives in Crestwood. Yeah, yeah. I, I know his son. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, and very so, cool. Yeah, very, very cool. And uh, um, just to meet these guys, my idols, my, you know, UK and, and that team especially, to meet all those guys was just so rewarding for me. And being at WVLK, um, we were the station that carried their games. Of course, other uh, stations did, HAS probably at the time, but I, I know about VLK and the Mighty 590, and our play-by-play -play man was Claude Sullivan. And a lot of people don't remember that Claude Sullivan 
was just as good as Kaywood Ledford, and many people believe a better announcer. And he was a prince of a guy. He would take me under his wing and said, Ron, I want you to come, and, and you can keep stats tonight because he knew I was such a fan. And I would sit right there on press row and, you know, keep stats for him. And um, he died of lung cancer early. And then, of course, Kaywood had a long, long uh, tenure as UK's uh, play-by-play man. Okay, so what year are we up to now? Okay, 66, and uh, then in 67, I had another great opportunity. As a matter of fact, I was, uh, again, I had, um, I was at VLK, and I got a call one day from the program director at WLAP right across town. And even though VLK probably had the better ratings, I had heard that they were really starting to come on. I'm talking about WLAP, Kentucky's first radio station. So I got a call, and they said, Ron, we've been listening to you on VLK. And let's see, I was making 85 a week. $85 a week. Up from 60-something a week That's with the it. prior gig. Exactly. Okay. you got a good memory there. He said, how would you like to come to LAP? You don't have to do a six-hour gig. I'm talking about a four-hour gig from noon to four, and we're going to pay you $100 a week. Wow. No, because, you know, back in those days that you were in radio and you thought you were doing pretty good. Uh, you know, at 60 or 85, whatever, but $100 a week, that's over 5000 a year. <laughs> so uh, I made the trek across town and started wow. in 60, latter part of 67, 68, and 69. So there for three years. And they did have the voices. I mean, they had a morning man who was Fred Gooding. I remember his name. He had a great voice, afternoon uh, Oh, no, a yeah, afternoon guy, because did I mention that I was actually midday from 10 to 2, so they had a guy from 2 to 5 okay. whose name was Reynolds Large, and he had one of these booming voices, you know, and so, and Nick Clooney was also there for a short time. Clooney. Yeah, that would be George Clooney's father. Okay, yeah, yeah. I thought that. I knew yeah. there was a, conne- there was Kentucky, a Kentucky connection. connection there. I did not know that so right. that was his father. He, did was, you meet him? Yeah, oh, yeah. Nice yeah. guy? Yeah. I, oh, really, just a, just a prince of a guy. We, we had uh, dinner together, and uh, as a matter of fact, I can tell you this now because no, no one is listening. <laughs> just you and I in here, right? You Rob. and I here talking. He actually dated... My future wife oh, for a while. Wow, yeah, wow, he okay. actually did before he went on to Cincinnati and then went out to California, became a big star, you know. And he he married a, a young lady, uh, Nina Bruce Warren, I think was her name. But he actually dated Mary Lee, and I've got pictures of them together. I posted I posted them on Facebook recently, and somebody said, "Wow, your wife looks like she's with George Clooney." Well, he is the spitting image of his son, George Clooney, but a real nice guy. And thank goodness they didn't get married and she married me, you know. But uh, 
again, uh, where are we now? Yeah, about 67. You, you just got the news that you went to maybe a competitor. You got a whopping $100 a week. That's right. You were thinking to yourself, wow, oh. I've made it. I'm making 5000 a year. Yeah, that's it. You know, you start thinking about yearly salaries. And I thought, man, I've got it made now. But I was only on the air for four hours from 10 to 2. But then... As fate would have it, there was an afternoon gig called Sound Off, and it was being um, moderated by a young man named John Duvall, and he left for a, a better job with a TV station, and the program director called me in and said, Ron, would you consider being the host of this call-in show? And Kelly, this was before, you know, talk show hosts really became a thing. Joe Pine, I think, was on another station, but they got into such turmoil with the callers. I thought, I'm not sure I want to do this. Mm. Yeah, as you can understand, the Vietnam War was going on and uh, several other contentious subjects were coming up. So once I, again, this was in 67, 68-ish? Yeah, okay. yeah, and this would have been the middle of 68, and so and I said, well, I'm not sure if I want to jump into being a moderator for a call-in show because you're opening up to the entire radio audience spectrum. He said, what if I gave you another $100 a week? Wow. Yeah, that was out of the clear blue, Kelly, so we're talking about 10000 a year. So thus far, you have been a disc jockey. Up to 68. You get this new position where you are the moderator of a call-in show. What what is the topical theme of this call-in show? Is it sports? Could it be politics? Could it be Vietnam? Bobby Kennedy was shot, I think, in that year. Could it have been anything? That was it. Anything. You call in with your question or your comment, and we'll talk about it. And that was amazing because I would read all the newspapers, the Lexington Herald, the Courier Journal, Time Magazine, everything I could grasp that was topical. I would read thoroughly and indulge myself with all of the news and not only with one um, side or or concentration of opinion, but also the other side so that I could give equal time to both. And so I did the best job that I could, and I thought, well, is it good enough? And they, uh, we had um, a review from time to time. They said, yeah, you're doing fine, Ron. So kept that for a year and a half. So we would be talking about the latter part of 69 as we were going into 1970. And I thought, well, how much longer can I indeed, you know, because... After one contentious caller called in, and I cut him off the air. Of course, we had the delay system, as you probably okay, know. Okay, yep, I'm familiar. Uh, he came at, to the station with a gun looking for Do you Are you able, this is obviously, you know, 50 year, 52 years ago, 53 years ago. What was the topic of the call that, that he was so heated that he brought a gun in? It was um, Vietnam. Yeah. So I maybe he was an anti-war guy <laughs> yeah. or, or he, yeah. you know, whatever it was, he was angry with the way you cut him off. Exactly. He was angry. He said, nobody does that. And he came in and they stopped him before he, he got, uh, you know, very far into the station. But wow. I'll never forget that. So because he brought a gun in, 
what happened? Um, they escorted him out, but as far as I know, nothing ever ever came of it. But I had to change my uh, phone number several times. I didn't dare give out my address because I lived right there in, in, in Lexington. But it was the top-rated show in that Wow! Period. Yeah. Very cool. It, yeah, and of course there I was making ten thousand a year. <laughs> I thought, boy, five figures a year, and then out of the clear blue, are you ready for the next? Uh, I'm ready. What's the, the next, next chapter? Next, next chapter. chapter. That's right. Out of the clear blue, someone called me up one day and said, "Ron, we have been listening to the way you moderate this show. We are so impressed. We would like for you." to join a program, and it's a national program, and it's called Model Cities, and we would like for you to be the deputy director. Now, not the director, but the deputy director, which meant that I was the number two guy in this program, this federal program called the Model Cities and I said, no, I don't think I'll be interested. Because I was enjoying myself being the moderator of Sound Off, and, and they kept calling, and they kept on, and they pursued me, and finally said, you got to come in for an interview. So I did. And they said, well, after all of the smoke and dust had settled, they said, you'd be the perfect because of your ability as a moderator. We would like to pay you. 20000 a year. <laughs> it meant double my salary. And I, so I went home and told my wife, and she said, you better take it. <laughs> Did you have to move? No. That's the, the great thing about it is because this was going to be not a federal program, but it was being uh, carried out in several key cities in the United States. So it was going to be carried out in Danville, my hometown, called the Model Cities Program. Wow. So I didn't have to move. And I commuted, as a matter of fact. Until the program died away. <laughs> so that takes us from what, 69 or 70? 70 to 73 or it, it, two and a half to three years. And as many federal programs do, this just died out. Yeah. Was it a good experience in hindsight? Yes, it was. Because it allowed me to get my master's degree. They oh, paid wow. for it, uh, me to attend uh, UofL. And so this is your fifth college? Yeah, okay. that's right. I was exactly. counting. You're okay. counting. I was, yeah, I was. That was my fifth college. And so I let me see here. Degree. We got Transylvania. Yep. We got Miami. Yep. Back to Lexington. Yep. New York. UK. UK. Oh, did, did didn't you make... attend a school in New York? It was an acting school. Okay, not, so not, not a not university. A, no, no, not a college. Okay, UK and then UofL. Right, except uh, there was a time in there that I attended the University of Tennessee. Okay, so that's six. <laughs> six colleges. No, I don't think so. Let's go back. Uh, Transylvania, Miami, UK, uh, University of Tennessee, and U of L. Okay. Okay. Five. Yeah. Gotcha. So I got it. Yeah, in there. So okay, we're, so we're, uh, we're up we're about to, to uh, 73. Yeah, in hindsight, you did have a good experience with the... Uh, national program. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, then, let's see, I believe after it petered out, after the program, the Model Cities program bit the dust, you either got, you either got approved or you were disapproved. And so the town of Danville did not get approved, so we were out. Those of us 
that had been a participants in the Model Cities program. Well, my brother, in the meantime, had been a franchisee of Long John Silver's. <laughs> he was one of the first. He had the first store in outside of Lexington. I think it was started um, in Lexington. And then they started thinking it was so successful, they started thinking about giving franchises. So he got the first one in Kentucky, I believe, in Danville. And he said, Ron, this is a moneymaker. Why don't you come in with me and we'll be, you know, the kings of uh, fast food. So I was just out of a job, you know, with a model city. So I joined him for two and a half years. So we're 73, 74, 75. And I got to the point that even though the money was good and the People were buying fish, you know, fish and chips, and it was it was booming. I just really got tired. I was so tired of, of not only frying fish and getting burnt <laughs> with blisters, but I was missing radio. Okay. So I had been with a gentleman who was the manager of WKLO, Ernie Gutteridge. I don't know if you ever heard the name. I may have, but, but, yeah, but you know, can't names, think of it now. Yeah. We were both working on our master's degrees together, and we got to the dissertation, and I got up and gave mine, and he afterwards said, Ron, you have just auditioned for a new spot that I've got coming up at WKLO-FM. And he said, I would like for you not only to be the manager, but the morning announcer. So I jumped right back into radio. So that was, what, 70, uh, 75, I think, 74, 75. I told my brother I had just had it with the fish and chips, and then I was going back into radio. And so KLO and Wacky were c big competitors, you know, because... Uh, the Duke of Louisville was, you know, on there, and uh, ratings were the, the rock and roll wacky announcers were competitors with KLO. But I was the manager of KLO FM, and hardly anyone knew about FM in those days. Mm. I mean, it was all AM, as you perhaps know with your background. So we were actually selling converters to car owners to try to get them to try out the FM frequency. So their cars uh, did not automatically tune from AM to FM. No. They had to not install something <laughs> that allowed them to pick up that frequency, That's and this right. is around 76 or yeah, so? Yeah, okay, yeah, wow. 75, I remember. And so um, I did that for, um, I guess we're talking two years, 75. Latter part of 74, 75, and then um, I got fired. <laughs> so, um, no particular reason other than that's a other part, the, that's a nature, the uh, nature of, of the nature beast. nature of the beast, absolutely. I remember that he said, you're, you're doing okay, but, you know, as the morning announcer, and I was playing beautiful music, but we're, the FM facility is just not making any money. We had even changed from WKLO-FM to WCSN because they wanted to honor their founder, Charles Sawyer. So it was the Charles Sawyer Network, mm. WCSN. 
And so I got the pink slip. And that, as you know, is a big possibility in radio. I forget the name, but I read a book. And in the book, it had chapters about so many different sports radio personalities. John Renshaw was one. uh, Arnie Spanier. I mean, a lot of guys' names that are recognizable. But one of the recurring themes was, I forget the quote, if you haven't been fired, then you're not... You know, you're not really in the industry. Right. That's just a part right. of it. It's just a part of it. Absolutely. It's it's almost like um, coaching. You sure. are hired. Eventually, you're going to be fired. In the NBA, you can win NBA Coach of the Year one year and then get fired the next. I think that's happened two or three times. Yeah. You're yeah coach of the right. Year, you're on top of the world, and then no more, you're fired. Exactly. Yeah. So I was... Um, I'll admit I was devastated because here I thought I was entrenched in in being not only the morning announcer, but in being the manager of an FM facility. But that all went by the wayside. And so I was out, and then I heard that they were going to start a new radio station at the University of Louisville. Mm, Okay. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. And so I auditioned to be an announcer. Because, see, that was my background at Trancy and UK classical music. So I knew the pronunciation of these classical um, composers. And they were going to take WHAS and their library and pull it all over to the University of Louisville for their very first radio station. Now, you're saying classical music. Beethoven. Yes. Mozart. Mozart. Bach. And all of them. I mean, you... Chopin. Yeah. And I had had experience with that because my major was music. Wow. As not only a vocalist, but as a saxophone player. So... um, when, when I auditioned, I told them about, naturally, my background. And at that time, not only did I have my bachelor's, but I had a master's degree, which I'm certain uh, added a little more fuel to my uh, aspirations of, of getting this gig. And so I remember auditioning, and they said, well, we will let you know. And so uh, I found out later there were 345 people that tried out 345 oh, that's what i heard uh, but not only auditioned as an announcer but think but um applying for that position because it was so coveted L had never had they had a little student radio station but they had never had a public radio station so wuol was going to be the call letters, and that we had all this huge library coming over from HAS. So I had, as I recall, several rounds of of interviews, auditions, and I finally got the call. We have chosen you out of the whole bunch, you know. Plus, I had had a um, a class in my U of L pursuit of my master's degree with uh, Dr. Robert Hoy, and he was the one who actually <laughs> made the final decision, and he wanted me in that capacity, and so I got the gig as the manager and the uh, 
announcer for WUOL, which they're still going strong. But this was in 1976, and so um, we, we had a little trouble getting on the air, as I recall. Went well into that um, December of 76 of and worked with um, several engineers who finally tweaked the transmitters and, uh, because it was an FM facility, as you know, and uh, finally got on the air. And I was there for two years, and um, then again, and I suppose looking, you know, in retrospect, we all see that we have gone down this or that path that perhaps if we had it to do all over again, we would have chosen another path. And uh, looking in retrospect, that's probably one of the, the situations that I wish I had given more thought to because I was only there two years and I resigned because I just got so tired of pleading and asking for funds all the time. It seemed like we had, you know, fundraisers every three, four, five, six months pleading to support your local public radio station. Mm. So I got the urge to get back into commercial radio where I could be, I guess, myself. Well, you could worry just about putting a good product out there. That was your primary focus. Whereas in public radio, your focus needs to be on encouraging donors. Exactly. Well put, Kelly. Absolutely. That was, that was my focus. But I'm sure that, that we all had several instances in our life, looking back, and we said, well, that was probably a mistake. And I sometimes wonder if I had stayed there, you know, what we might have done. But, you know, looking, I think Louisville has some of the best uh, public radio stations in the entire United States. Not only WUOL, but the others. I'm not sure about the call letters, but perhaps you know. Um, You know, there's like 91.9 WFPK. That's it, FPK. Yes. Yeah. It's a very popular one. Very popular. Different genres of music. They've yes. got a jazz hour. Jazz, yeah. You know, they'll have uh, different different things yeah. going on. There. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that brings us through, what, about 78 when you resigned? That's right. Okay. And then I remember earlier you said you started with WXVW, the big X. That was 1980. So what did you do for those two years? I went back and worked a little while with my brother. Okay. Uh, yeah. In, in Long John Silver's, you know, <laughs> because I was looking for an income. And okay. even though I had had a bad experience, um, I went back for a couple of years with him. So then um, after... Um, there was a downturn in fast food. He finally got out of the business. Uh, I think he got up to, at one time, 45 stores in wow. seven states. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, he finally, I guess, finally got to the point that it was overwhelming. He's retired now in in Florida, but he sold back to the company. So he's, he's 85 years old living in Florida now. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. He's a couple of years younger than I am. You're how old, how you're did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I think earlier you said uh, he was two years. And yeah. He was the one who made the trip with you, got you to That's go back right. out to California. Exactly. Yes. It's amazing how that it, it all comes up, up around. And that's your only sibling? Yes, that's true. Um, this is a random question, but I'm curious. Your mother was a bank teller. What did your father do for a living? He was a salesman. I remember going with him, or they called him drummer in those days. He was a salesperson. He had several jobs just trying to feed a family of four. Okay. But um, he was what they called a drummer, meaning that he drummed up business for a, uh, a fruit and vegetable company right Ooh. there in Danville. Okay. And I remember going on some trips with him and walking into his store, and, you know, the owner would say, is that your boy, Hanley? You know, he said, yeah, that's my boy. And looking back, he was of another generation, sure. and he never told me that he was proud of me. Wow, or, interesting. Or ever said, I love you. Interesting. Because they just didn't do that. Yeah. They could not show their emotion. I've thought about that, and of course, I've told my children I love them every day. You know, I have a, an adult son and daughter here in Louisville. And you were born in 35? Yeah. Off the top of your head, what years were your parents born? Uh, 19 and 12 and 19 and 14. Okay, so, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That is very so, fascinating. Like yeah, I said, that, someone like is, you, it, I could go into so many different well, directions. I know, exactly, because you think that's right after World War One, yeah. you know. And they were young in love. I think my mother was 20 when... Uh, when she got married and quickly had me as her first child. My father was 22. Um, unfortunately, he died at the age of 47. Wow. And so I never got to know him. I would love to have somehow had adult conversations with him, but I just didn't have that opportunity. But my, um, my mother... Uh, met an old boy after my father passed away, after a couple of years, uh, an old boyfriend that she had had in Harrodsburg, Kentucky, came back, found out she was a widow, asked her to go to dinner. They hit it off wonderfully. They got married for another 25 years. Wow. Yeah. So I have that in my heart that she enjoyed her life even after my father passed. Very cool. So 1978, latter part of 78, then 79, you were back in the world of fast food, Long John Silver's. Then in 1980, you were hired on for WXVW, the big X in Southern Indiana. Right. How did that come about? Okay. I had done, done a little research. I'm big on research, like I'm doing now on slowing the aging process and even reversing the aging process. But I had done some, some of my homework, and I found out that there was one station in the market that was playing the music of your life. Those that I recognized, like Patti Page and Doris Day and Frank Sinatra and the big bands, and that was WXVW. And I thought, wow, I wonder if I could go to work there, you know, because of my background. So I just drove out to the station. And I remember talking to Charlie Jenkins and Gil Doherty, and they said, well, you've got an impressive resume, you know, in radio. Why don't we um, audition? And so I did, and they said, okay, we would like for you to be the night 
person, you know. I don't know if they called I don't think they called it the Nighthawk. But we have a slot from uh, 6 p.m. to midnight. And so I said, well, okay, let's talk salary, you know. And it was a modest salary, I think, uh, 165, 175 a week or something like that. But we're talking about 1980. Yeah. So that's what I went to work for. Well, didn't take long. And Charlie Jenkins said, I want you to be the morning man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to switch you from nights to morning. So that was a promotion. Oh, yeah. They let the morning guy go and put me on from the 6 to uh, 12 noon. Now, yeah. being that I spent some time from 2012 or 13 through 2020 at WXVW, Charlie Jenkins is a name that still is mentioned around the station, right? Yeah, because he not only was the general manager, but he got the... Uh, investors together okay. and created Sunnyside Broadcasting, and so he was the main man. Yeah, that's where you've heard the name not only as a excellent um, uh, broadcaster, but he did the play-by-play for a lot of the Southern Indiana High School. That's uh, right. Games. Okay. Yeah. And is he still around? No. no okay. He passed away. I went to his funeral. As a matter of fact, uh, Kelly, uh, most of my comrades have sure. passed away. Sure. Yeah. Il Doherty was the PD, and he passed away recently at the age of 89. Wow. Yeah. And anyway. So how many years? From 1980 through? To 1999. Yeah. You were with uh, WXVW. And that's amazing looking back, because when you're talking of 20 years at one station, that's almost unheard of. Sure. I was not expecting that. Exactly. I was there almost 20 years. And um, then, you know, I got to be 65, and I thought, well, I don't want to be doing this for the rest of whatever time I have on this earth, so I better tell them that I'm going to resign and apply for Social Security, because mm. I was at that age, of course. And I think Wayne Perky also retired at the same time, Okay, uh, right around 1999 or 2000. And we became really good friends. He's the morning, uh, you know, a legend on WHAS, Perky in the morning. And we became great friends, and he died recently, unfortunately. My uh, brother said, you better start making some younger friends, Ron, because you're losing all your friends. But it's the circle of life. D- Douglas Wolverton probably yeah, worked he also. he worked for me. I hired Douglas Wolverton. Did you? Yeah, sure did. And he was, he, I must say that he was conscientious. He was an excellent employee. But he had kind of a quirky personality. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I don't say that in a derogatory manner at all. It's just that he marched to the beat of a different drum sure. than the rest of us. Did you know him? I did, yeah. yeah. I got to work with Doug. Yeah. I hosted many shows where he was running the boards yeah. or whatever the verbiage would be, the description. That's it. Yeah, yeah. running the boards for yeah. me while I'm in there hosting the show. And, yeah. Um, he was always on the ball. I'll give him that. He was... Uh, you know, I don't remember him ever like screwing up. Oh, he, that's right. When it's time for a break, he was on it. Absolutely. If I forgot something, he would remind yeah, me. Yeah. And he, of course, passed away this past year. Very sad. That's what I heard. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, one of those situations that is inevitable, but you're still shocked when you hear that a guy, because he was 
I'm pretty sure he much, was much younger than I. Much younger than you, yes. Yeah. I would think he was maybe 60, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Um, okay, so from then till 1999, when you were 65. Uh, yeah. Um, or 64. Going 64, into, yeah, 65. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, what, what did you get into after that? That was your re- those are your retirement years. Exactly. What did you begin to do I just at that kicked point? Back. And then I started getting serious about working out. Okay. Charlie Jenkins and I had done some running and we would we were um, I think yeah, we were both members of the same gym or gymnasium where we worked with weights and we would run five and ten Ks together. Wow. And so I started really thinking about um, some uh, Research not only into a long life, but a healthy lifespan. What I could do to reach the optimal health condition in my later years. So I started reading about uh, not only exercise, but diet, attitude, sleep, all of these things. And I entered my first senior games, as I recall, in 97. So that would, would have been a couple of years before I retired uh, completely. So you might say that I've been at this Senior Olympic Game track and field competition for 25 years now. This what, is 22, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is 22. Yeah, yeah. What, what does your wife think of all this? She is uh, rather um, amazed sometimes, but she doesn't let me get the big head. <laughs> I'll say, yeah, I just won a gold medal in this or that, and she's, oh, fine. You know, fine. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of uh, is in the background and keeps me grounded, keeps my head from expanding too much. And she always said, I said, well, come out here and run with me, you know, or go to the gym. She said, no, 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 I'm saving all my energy so that I, in my old age or uh, golden years, I will have saved enough of my cartilage and so forth. Sure. That's another thing about so many of my classmates have had new knees and new elbows and new shoulders. I am very lucky. Once again, knock on wood. Knock on wood that I haven't had any, any problems with my joints. Never. 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 Isn't that amazing? So what what, what is your, um, this is a dual part question. What is your secret to maintaining your physical health? But also, how important is that to your mental health and your zest for life? Extremely important. That's a very good question because I have always felt, even though that I have investigated thoroughly everything I could about diet and exercise and sleep, all important, but it's attitude, mental health, that um, you have the choice every morning whether you're going to be an optimist or a pessimist. And I have chosen optimism. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, I concentrate on it. Every morning, I awaken, and I just feel good about what's going to happen that day. Now, it's not all. I'm not a Pollyanna and say that every day is great. But I meditate every morning for about a half an hour. I go on YouTube, and I'll find somebody that's talking about this or that. I could, I could watch YouTube all day long. <laughs> That's where I saw our uh, bluegrass uh, breakdown. Yeah. That was us doing a college basketball podcast literally 10 years ago, which at the time we were thinking, 
we're interviewing this 77-year-old man. Right. Or 76, you said. Probably. 76. And yeah. how cool is it that he's 76 and he still <laughs> follows college basketball? And here we are. Uh, yeah, now 10, you're- 10 years later. Because I remember you would elbow Tyler, you know, and, and look. Because that was televised, wasn't it? Yeah, you we were doing video, that, thanks doing to Matt video. McCarthy. Yeah, yeah, Matt McCarthy. And I would talk about uh, being 76 and running all of these sprints. And you would look at each other. And then we had some notion about I was going to race some 28-year-old oh, yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's right. That's my friend from high school, uh, Larry Kaiser. Yeah, Kaiser was Yeah, Yeah, J.R. Kaiser yeah. goes by his name. Name's Larry, but goes by Jr. Yeah. And he is very good natured, has a great sense of humor, bigger, you know, physically yeah. heavier guy. Yeah. And and somehow it came about that that Jr. I forgot about that <laughs> that he was going to race he a seventy six year old man. Yeah, yeah. I, I I listened to it recently because I knew I was going to come on your podcast, and. Uh, I said something. I said, I think it would draw a lot of attention for a 76-year-old man to race this somewhat overweight, out-of-shape young 28-year-old. <laughs> and so I said, uh, I think that we might generate some interest. But it never came about, of course. But he, he did respond. He, I remember you called him. And he said, yeah, I'll take on that old geezer. I'd be glad. <laughs> he has a very good sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, that is a funny memory. I, you, I, you'll have to bring that up to him next I time. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll be yeah. tagging him in the comments on yeah. Facebook of yeah. this this post. Uh, yeah. Um, great. Well, that's that's all very. Um, it, as I said to you prior to us recording, you are, in my opinion, you were at age seventy six, but I guess even more so now at eighty seven. Uh, you know, an inspirational person. I um, get more comments when I post on Facebook from literally hundreds and hundreds of people who say, Ron, you are such an inspiration. If I can do what you're doing at your age, and I mean this is from people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, then I will be so grateful. And I, I think... If I can just inspire one person, sure. but I'm inspiring hundreds of people. And that's why I was talking to you earlier about being a motivational speaker. I speak to some service clubs and some senior uh, clubs and so forth. And um, if I can just see someone whose eyes light up and say, hey, if that guy at 87 is doing what he's doing, and here I am, you know, in my 60s or 70s, maybe I could take what he's doing and apply it to my life, and I can have a better lifespan. And that's what we're talking about. Not only lifespan, but the health span is more important, Kelly, because even if I live to be 100 and beyond, which I intend to do since I have delved into the age regression a rabbit holes so thoroughly. Um, I don't want to be around just to be around. I don't want people having to change my diapers or having tubes running out of every orifice in my body. I want to be healthy right up to the point of exp- expiration. And if I can do that, 
then it really will have been worth every ounce of energy I poured into it. There's something, a uh, expression I called up Matt Jones the other day on KSR, and I said, have you heard this expression of compressed morbidity? He said, no, I don't know what that I said, well, that means that you follow all of these protocols that I'm talking about, and you go as hard as you can, right up to the time that you die, and then you die quickly, so that you don't have to linger and suffer. Mm. And that's what I mean by compressed morbidity. Wow. And that's what I'm shooting for. Because I've had people that, that say, I run 5Ks now. I just finished one at St. Matthew's Independence Day 5K. And people said, are you really 87? Because I had Radio Ron on the front. On the back, I had 87 years of age. And if you can read this, you need to train harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I told you that. Yeah, yeah, that's And people great. wanted their pictures made with, with me on that uh, T-shirt. Uh, but, yeah, I, uh, I want to just keep going as hard as I can right up to the final moment. And from what I have learned in my pursuit of the age regression philosophy, and more and more doctors are finding out now what really causes the aging process and how we might not only slow it down, but they might be able to regress. The spectrum is so wide, okay? And what I mean by that is, let's imagine someone was born in Louisville, Kentucky, they're a good athlete in high school. They go to college for a year, drop out, get married, get a full-time job, gain a little bit of weight. By the time they're 22 or 23 years old, they have a kid or two. They're married. No more college. And they start saying, I, I'm not exaggerating, start saying things like, well, it's not as easy for me to get out in the driveway and play basketball as it was back when I was in high school. And so they start to feel old mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the age of 25. They're an old man or an old woman. And so I would say that's on one end of the spectrum. Did you ever experience something like that? Was there a point at your life, in your life where you were not as healthy and you felt... Uh, in hindsight, you look back and you say, maybe I can relate to that 23 or 25-year-old in, in the example I just gave. Did you ever experience that to any degree? I think I might have to a certain degree, not overwhelmingly, but I believe I was in my mid to late 30s and started putting on weight. And I got up to, never really heavy, but got up to 187, I remember, or 188. By the way, I'm 148 now. Wow, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I got up to about 188, and it, I just didn't feel good. Sure. I was feeling bloated, and I was feeling, I would sit down in a chair, and I could just feel my stomach hanging over my belt, you know. And these are the things that lead to problems later on. Diabetes, inflammation, uh, cardiac problems, even cancer. The mental health aspect. The mental too. health. You feel so much better. And since I have been following this protocol that I, I think I briefly mentioned to you, sure. there are so many doctors now, and I could name quite a few because I have studied most all of their uh, papers and expertise, but there's one in particular. His name is Dr. David Sinclair. Okay. He's uh, 
He's in medicine uh, at Harvard University, extremely bright man. And he has gone down the rabbit hole again, I use that term of uh, age regression. And he's 52 now, but he has, they've taken his DNA and he has regressed by 20 years. His biological age is 32, and he looks 32. That's the amazing thing. So I have been following his suggestions, not only about exercise, where I go to the gym, you know, work out with weights, and I run a mile or two every morning, but he's also mentioned in his lab, and the doctors have found certain chemical molecules that you can take and will slow down the aging process and renew your cellular structure. One is called NMN, and that's not to be confused with M&Ms. You can take those as candy, but NMN, nicotinamide micronucleotide. And it's a, 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 in a pill form, I take it every morning. I take a gram of NMN. I'll take uh, resveratrol. Now, that's been around for years, and I've been taking resveratrol for some 20 years, I guess. It's extracted from the grape seed, and it's supposed to um, renew your energy. And what we're trying to do is get rid of these tumescent cells. We call them zombie cells that are breaking down. And Dr. Sinclair believes that the medical community still does not consider aging a disease, which it is. Mm. It's a disease. But they, what do they do? You feel badly or you have a, a problem, you go to the doctor and he treats your disease. He tries to write you a prescription. Try a prescription. Something. And look at all the meds that people are taking. Wow. I was uh, interviewed the other day on another show, and they said uh, most um, men in their late 70s are taking six to eight prescriptions. How many do you take, Ron? Zero. Wow. <laughs> I'm a health insurance agent. I specialize in helping people going on to Medicare prior to age 65, and then, you know, Medicare Advantage or supplements forever. Yeah. Yeah. I get to see it. Yeah. Without, yeah, of course, it. naming any names for privacy. Sure. Obviously, sure. I wouldn't do that, sure. but I see sure. it on yeah. average. Yeah. It's not uncommon for someone who's 67 to be overweight and to take exactly. nine or 12 medications yeah. every day. Every day. And usually, you know, uh, they say that 72% are overweight or obese, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Wow. And that's, that's really tragic. But until the medical community considers aging, the process of aging, a disease, then I'm afraid we're not going to make many headway. Because I'm thinking of the, the time when we can take as a pill, if you will, or a molecule, liquid or pill or whatever, and that we can see how it is slowing down the aging process and actually regressing that you get younger i uh, you look like you wanted to say something i was so, yeah, yeah but i, I do not <laughs> want to interrupt you you go on all right i'll just add this have we got time we've got a little yeah, bit of time yep, a little yep. bit of time left so after being on this protocol for about two years now and i've been following religiously resveratrol nmn 
and something called metformin, which usually is given to those who have diabetes. Mm -hmm. But I've been able to get a prescription. You need a prescription. And it has also, or they think, that it has proven to not only slow the aging process, but to give you more energy. Wow, I do course, see metformin often on these lists for the yeah, people that I, I people talk that with. you talk with. Yes. So I'm taking the NMN, the metformin, resveratrol mainly. And I also take a um, senior uh, multivitamin because they've just come out with another study. It's supposed to um, repair cognitive decline. Okay. Um, I have a, if it's all right, I have a couple questions. Yeah, sure thing. Um, just rapid fire questions yeah. at you. Um, yeah. People listening are probably interested. Everyone wants to be 87 and be doing great. <laughs> okay. So right. I don't even need to set the, there's no, right. I don't need to set the table for that. That's right. how everyone is. Right. Okay. Right. Are you religious? Uh, yes, I'm spiritual. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, relationship with maybe alcohol. I do enjoy my Kentucky bourbon and probably have three drinks a week. I don't drink every day, but I'll come in and just because I have grown up in Kentucky and I've tasted so many uh, types of bourbons, um, I, and I won't mention any here on this podcast, but I do enjoy a shot of bourbon, but never more than one, believe it or not, because, you know, uh, my father was teetering on being an alcoholic. Okay. And so I witnessed that, but he was a weekend. He'd come in, but he couldn't stop at one. He would just keep drinking until he became drunk. And he passed at age 47. At 47. Wow. And was a smoker, of course. Yeah. Okay. Um, a common thing when people have issues with aging in 2022, even in their 40s or 30s, but of course also 50s, 60s, 70s, is to get their testosterone checked. Yes. And go to one of these clinics. Maybe they end up getting uh, weekly injections yes. of legal, not, I don't want to call it steroids, um, but of testosterone from a doctor legally. Thoughts on that? I'm not sure. I have not really investigated. I've heard it, of course. I know about it, but I have not investigated thoroughly. Uh, I've even investigated, is it HGH? Correct. Yeah. 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 HGH. And um, so to to be quite truthful, I'm not sure at this point. I really have no... Not something that you've encountered or really looked into much. Not not at all. So you don't want to, you know, you're not anti that or pro that. Exactly. Indifferent. Indifferent. I'm doing okay with with my protocol. Seem to be, yes. Yeah. And so that's that's what I... What about your diet? Do you eat red meat often? Are you a vegetarian? I am what they call a whole foods plant-based vegetarian. And I would prefer vegetables. Occasionally, I will have a fatty fish, salmon, um, and also even occasionally chicken, but no red meats whatsoever. And how long have you been for not Uh, eating red meat? I would say probably eight to ten years. Okay. And no fried foods at all. And, of course, from all results and from all of the the uh, evidence that is what is killing us the processed foods sure. I mean, people go out and eat the hot dogs and the sausages and and the sugary drinks i haven't had a, a soft drink in 20 years 
so I stay away from the soft drinks, fried foods, um, and most processed food. I even try to buy my foods at Whole Foods, you know. And um, so this works for me. I'm not telling someone, you know, that they should go out and, and cut out. Um, it's like Dr. David Sinclair, you know, my guru, if you will, says he would love to eat meat all the time. He'd love to be a carnivore, but he said it just doesn't work that way. So I have found that, that uh, being a plant-based uh, or eating with whole foods, plant-based, vegetarian, but with occasional fish, then I find that works for me. Uh, because you've got trillions and trillions of bacteria in your gut. And until you get those cleaned up, they're the ones going to cause the inflammation and inflammation developing into disease. So I have pretty much cleaned up my gut. I don't have any more of the, the bloating, the flatulence, the uncomfortable feeling in your gut that everybody knows about uh, that is overweight. And that, all you have to do is walk down the street or... Go to Walmart and you'll see that it's an epidemic and more. And it's not getting any better. And um, I just feel like, again, that I don't want to dictate to anyone else, but I am throwing out this information and they can take it or, or leave it. Well, I would yeah. say, like I said earlier, you're 87. You feel good. I feel good. You're feel mentally right. sharp. You're enjoying life. You said you're going to see your daughter, I believe, later today. Yes. Okay, yes. so and if I'm someone's gonna pick, not going to take advice from you, then... <laughs> that's their their own problem, if you will. Yeah, and they don't yeah. have to, of course. We have freedom. Of course. Uh, one more thing I might mention. We were talking about age regression, yes. if you will. So since I've been on this protocol for two years now, almost with the with the NMN and the uh, and the metformin, we were talking about, and the resveratrol, and of course I take a baby aspirin, and I usually take this for my uh, breakfast in the morning, but the most important thing I have found is intermittent fasting. I mean, it has made such a difference in my life. I'm on what they call 17-7. That means my window for ingesting food is only seven hours. I fast for the other 17 in a 24-hour day. Does, is that right? You left yeah, it. 17 and 7. Yep. 17 I, I and actually seven. do that also. My wife is a big fan. Is that she right? She does 18 and 6. 18 I do six. about 18, sometimes 17. Yeah. But I do that also. Okay. I'm delighted to hear Every that. Every day. Every day. And for about a year now. Okay. I've been on it for two years, and it has made a tremendous difference. Like I say, I lost all. I'm, I'm down to that 148, and that's where my primary doctor wants me to stay. Because I was amazed how quickly I lost the weight. I, I was about 172 when I started this. I'm 148 now and never felt better. Wow. Never felt better. So intermittent fasting is so very, very important, along with these supplements and the molecules that I'm talking about. So I thought, and I'll end with this, I thought, well, Ron, you've been doing this for a couple of years. You better find out if it's working. I mean, so I've been reading about this clock, that clock. I've settled on one called the Horvath clock, where they came and took blood, your DNA, sent it off to the lab to check your chronological and your biological age, and I got it back. Finally, I was waiting on pins and needles. Is it working for me? And they said, congratulations, Mr. Chilton. 
even though your chronological age is 87. Our scientists have taken or has done some tests on your DNA, and we find that biologically you are 69. Wow, I believe that. <laughs> like I said, I, that's my profession as I see yeah. people who are in energy levels, health, um, mental clarity. Yes. I believe that, 69. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I was so happy because I thought, well, maybe this is all BS that I'm just doing all this. Well, it can't oh, be. It can't be. It can't be because you look uh, great. You sound great. You're mentally there. You drove yourself here. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you're going to drive yourself home exactly. alone. I mean, you're, you're. And I'm going to pick up my granddaughter at school. She goes to Mercy Academy. She just turned 18 and she's a senior having the time of her life talking about colleges. She said, Granddad, tell me about when you started at Transylvania, you know, back in 19. 1953, and that warms my heart to be able, sure. at my age, to tell her of something that happened over 70 or almost 70 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you said you're going to compete before we wrap up the episode. Yeah. In the Senior Olympics, you have 10 events. Yeah. When is that? Where is that? If someone's listening and they want to support yeah. Radio Ron Chilton, yeah. how could they support you and, and maybe follow you? What social medias are you on? Things like that. Yeah, I'm on um, on Facebook. Sure. And um, I have two pages. They call it, a, I don't know, they call it a celebrity page for Radio Ron. But then I'm on uh, just as Ron Chilton. C-H-I-L-T-O-N. And, of course, I accept all friendships, so just look me up and on Facebook. And, of course, I have an email address. I could give that if somebody wants an email address. Sure. It's radioronch at aol.com. Okay. And so um, I was going to answer your question. Oh, yeah, the Where Are the Senior Games? Yes. Coming up Sunday. And they're going to be held for the first time ever at the new Norton Healthcare right. and Sports Center located on Muhammad Ali, I think Muhammad Ali Boulevard in West Louisville. And I haven't been there yet. I, I've seen pictures of it. It's a huge indoor and outdoor complex. So it starts at noon, the track and field. And I'm going to be there at about 10 o'clock, so I'll be able to warm up. And I'm really looking forward to that. That's Sunday, September 18th, 2022. This yeah. upcoming Sunday. This upcoming Sunday. And Absolutely. You mentioned Muhammad Ali. Did you ever meet Muhammad Ali? No, I didn't. I, that's wow. one regret that I do have. That did you ever meet him? I did the, actually. Did? I met yeah. him once in like '95. Is that right? I was, you know, oh, a kid what, and, what yeah. a wonderful human being and character. I wish I had had that opportunity. Well, great stuff, uh, Ron. I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been my pleasure, Kelly. Because, like I say, ten years ago, you invited me on uh, Bluegrass. Um, Bluegrass Breakdown. Breakdown. Yes. That was it. And I looked at it this morning, and we had... Um, Tyler Boyd. Uh, Tyler Boyd and Kelly Patrick, and we had all of 215 views. Is that right? <laughs> I thought that would catch It's you. fun no matter what. <laughs> I say that right. about That's the right. Kelly Patrick show, is yeah. a lot of these episodes that we do, like I would enjoy our conversation today, even if it wasn't recorded. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. who knows? I mean, we, we share it. I tag you. People who already know you will enjoy listening. Exactly. Um, 
And then who but, knows how many more beyond that. But yeah. regardless of that, it's enjoyable. That's and the, right. the nature of conversation exactly. is what is yeah. really, really no. cool about podcasting or radio. And I think podcasting in a lot of ways gives you the creative flexibility. Like you mentioned, the, your one stint with the public radio where you had to be asking for donors and things. Yes. Um, yes. This is kind of free of that. We get to talk about whatever we want to. Exactly without saying, and now we must pause for this word from our sponsor. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I really like so the, the I, podcast format. Yeah, well, that I do too. As a matter, I might mention one other thing. Sure. And that is that uh, people ask me, "Well, uh, are you on any other um, social, uh, you know, medias?" Medias. I say, "Well, I'm all over YouTube. Not only do uh, did I end up in second place in that KSTV, you yep. know, contest, but they wanted me to do a special segment. Oh, I remember, and you remember this. that. Yep, yeah, yep. and so they decided that I was going to have a segment known as Radio Ron's Reflections. Yes, I say, remember the three R's, and I am all over YouTube with Radio Ron's Reflections. Now that's mostly sports because yeah. I was talking about UK, U of L, IU, and the local sports teams. But I enjoy that it was a four-minute stint, and they were, I recorded it over at the Spectrum Studios, whatever they were called yep. in those days. I remember. Yeah, and so uh, they put most of those on YouTube. And so my grandson came over the other day, and he said, Granddad, I saw you on YouTube again today, you know, and uh, doing all kinds of crazy things. I was with um, uh, Matt Jones, of course, on Hey, Kentucky also. And I've got Maybe Chip Cosby was involved yeah. at those times. Yeah, he certainly was. Chip and I went to several um, locations and talked to sports fans in some of the some of the bars before a big game. But Chip Cosby was there, and Tony Vanetti okay. was also a part of that. And of course, uh, there for a while, Matt Jones, and um, there were several others. Yeah, great stuff. Well, Radio Ron. Once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been my pleasure, Kelly. Absolutely. I'm so delighted you asked me. And, of course, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to The Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon. Thank you.